Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, and as you can see, I'm here with my co-host, Rahul. We're finally together for the first episode, and we've got Ben with us today. How's it going, Ben? It's good. It's strange to see you in one window. It is very strange for us as well. We're not used to sitting next to each other, but nonetheless, exciting. And we're excited to talk to you today. There's a lot of development going on in the transfer market. So I'll pass it over to my co-host here so we can get kicked off. Hey, man, thanks for jumping on. So first question right out the gates, Armando Borja, uh, rumors, stories that he's off to West Ham and Chelsea are looking and maybe have a deal in place with West Ham. What can you share with us? And why would Chelsea uh, entertain this, especially since we don't really have an out-and-out striker in the squad? Yeah, I mean, the last point that you mentioned is important because Chelsea are looking to try and either find more attacking cover or hang on to Breuer if they possibly can. So if they are to sell to West Ham, it will be a reluctant sale. And Chelsea's position has always been quite consistent that they don't want to let Breuer go on a permanent deal. But you have to factor in the players' wishes. And obviously, it's all very well saying to Breuer, you want to keep him or... He could go out on loan again, and thus Chelsea have always got the ability to bring him back. But when you hit a scenario through not just one, but two loans now, because he went to Vitesse and then Southampton, where the player feels like he can get game time at Premier League level, he then has a little bit more leverage and is a much stronger part of the conversation in all of this. And the sad kind of fact of the last few weeks is that Broya was late to the preseason and then he picked up a knock. So Thomas Tuchel hasn't really had the opportunity to see him too much. And therefore Chelsea are going on what they've seen and heard from his spell at Southampton most recently. And from Broya's perspective, I think that he just wants that clarity as to if he does choose to stay at the football club, how integral is he going to be? And I don't think at this point Chelsea can answer that in any great detail, because if you look at the targets that Chelsea have explored alongside Raheem Sterling. Some, even though there was no real chance of it happening, fall into the Lewandowski mode, which is a more traditional number nine, and others are creative players like Rafinha. But with Broya, he has been playing in his loan at Southampton in a 4-4-2, often with Che Adams, and then on the left-hand side of a front two, he's had Elie Nussi, and of course, more centrally, James Ward-Prowse, and then Kyle Walker-Peters, and he feeds into that system. And I think that West Ham can sell him on not only being a focal point, but more suited to their system, whereas Chelsea don't have an answer yet as to whether they're looking for one more in his exact position in the pecking order, or whether it's actually going to be him complementing Sterling and Kai Havertz, and then if a wider player or a number 10 comes in, it's more going to be as a replacement for a Ziyech or a Werner. And then Broya might be convinced that he's still high enough up in the pecking order that he's going to get some game time. So the reality is, is that Broya is pushing for a move because I don't think he's yet convinced. And he's a bit more aggressive than perhaps Levi Colwell in his desire to get game time and leave. And West Ham themselves would much prefer a permanent deal to a loan to the tune of about 30 million. So West Ham and Chelsea are still in direct talks, but internally as well, Thomas Tuchel is hoping to talk 
to Broya a little bit more before any final decision is made. So a move is very possible. West Ham have grown in confidence since Broya returned early from the American pre-season tour. And yet Chelsea's position, as Thomas Tuchel has publicly reiterated, is still that in an ideal world, if they can convince Broya to stay, that is their preference. And currently, there's just that balance going on between Broya's desire for game time, West Ham trying to be as bullish as they can and quick in the negotiations to get a fee agreed. And Chelsea just sort of saying, well, hang on a minute. Do we actually have to sell him? Is there any scope to convince the player? And this is maybe the one bit in a transfer window that people always forget that football is a human. So it seems very neat for a fan to say, well, Tuchel wants to keep him. He's under contract. Why isn't he just staying or loaned out? But if the player keeps pushing and saying, listen, it's in my interest to move. I don't want another loan, another dressing room. I don't want to be in this position again in 12 months time. At that point, the club have to be reasonable. And these are the conversations currently going on at the moment. But West Ham remain in talks with Chelsea and still hopeful of completing a permanent deal. And I think that we'll get some clarity over what direction this is heading in the next week or so. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, all of that makes sense from both sides and actually West Ham sides too. Um, from a Chelsea perspective, we've seen in the past that they've put in buyback clauses uh, in some of these sales for, for academy players. Is that being part of the discussions or anything that you've heard? I don't think it's that advanced yet. So West Ham made an offer of about 30 million. And then rather than Chelsea going through the finesse of specifics, they're looking to talk to Broya first to understand whether or not their only option is a permanent sale as opposed to either keeping at the club or a loan deal. If they go down the line of a permanent deal, of course, from Chelsea's point of view, they would like the buyback opportunity. But all of these things affect negotiations because ultimately, if Broya's value rises significantly, if all goes according to plan at West Ham, then obviously they're going to want to keep him and or cash in at maximum value. So then if you put a buyback clause, the number's either going to be extremely high or West Ham are going to make it moderately higher than they've paid, maybe by 10 or 12 million. And then if Broya lives up to his potential, Chelsea could haul him back. But West Ham would then want a much lower or at least a lower transfer fee because effectively Chelsea have always got the ability to bring the player back. So it becomes a permanent sale by name but not necessarily by nature and then of course when you have a buyback clause it doesn't have to be as simple as just a buyback you can negotiate over a specific period you could say well you can't buy him back for the first two years or you could say you can only buy him back in the first two years or it could be you can buy him back but based upon fair market value at the time and that might go up or down according to individual targets hit. So there's quite a lot of creativity within a buyback clause as to what both sides can do to sort of protect their asset on each side. And that is going to be quite time consuming if Chelsea go in that direction. And really the main consideration, I think, from Chelsea's point of view, even though fans will think longer term and about wanting to always have the option either through a loan or a buyback clause to bring the player back. But from Chelsea's point of view, it's more about short term. Is there a future for Broya this season at Chelsea Football Club? Off the bench, in cup games, even starting, is there enough depth there to just let him go? And if the answer in Tuchel's mind is that the player actually can be quite involved in some capacity this season, then Broya may be persuaded by that. 
But the challenge, as I said before, is just that young players these days are much more vocal about their position in a transfer and a pathway to the first team. So if Broyer was to commit to Chelsea and not go to West Ham United, and it's in the balance at the moment, then he would want clear clarity from Chelsea as to who else would come in so he doesn't make a decision and then find that there's one or two players that are above him in the pecking order, perhaps one new incoming and maybe a player in the existing squad that's just going to stay. And that's the challenge because at this stage, Chelsea just can't give him that answer, which is why having thought long and hard about it, he's listening very carefully to the offer on the table from West Ham. Yeah, I mean, that that's all perfectly reasonable. And I think I like that you said that footballers are humans because sometimes we forget that they have voice. They should be able to say, hey, I'm not happy here, even though I have a long-term contract or whatnot, I want to move out. I want to talk about the defense in a minute here, but I want to just wrap up on the forward position. You mentioned Robert Lewandowski. We now know he's gone to Barcelona. I don't think Chelsea are really in for him at any point in time, but Tuchel himself has said that they need to look at that forward position at some point. It's not the priority. Do you know if there's a short list of strikers that they're looking at right now and if that's going to materialize in the next few weeks, months here maybe? Yeah, I mean, Chelsea do want to add another attacker, and we see that from the vague interest in Lewandowski. Like you say, it didn't materialise to anything. And also the bid for Rafinha, and let's not forget a last-minute bid to try and hijack the Gabriel Jesus deal to Arsenal as well. So these are the names that Chelsea have historically looked across, and they're all very different in many senses because Jesus isn't that dissimilar to Raheem Sterling, perhaps more of a central focal point, whereas Sterling's a bit more versatile. And then Lewandowski is just a proper number nine and Rafinha is more of a creative player that chips in with goals and assists. And this is what makes drawing up a shortlist very difficult because they each serve a different purpose within both Tuchel's formation but also comparative to other players at the football club. So if Ziyech goes to Milan and or Werner leaves, then it's much more likely that Chelsea's second attacking player will be more in that mould. But if only one of them goes or none of them go, then you start thinking, could we have more of a defined striker? And that then gives you depth around Havertz, around Sterling and versatility as to what formation you might play. And I think that... The shortlist is more being defined and pushed through Tuchel, but also from the old regime as regards attacking options, new ones anyway. So there is some talk that Thomas Tuchel still admires Rafael Liao, but I think that the fee Milan would command will make that a very difficult sale. So I don't see Chelsea advancing too soon or too far with that. There is a possibility that Jack Harrison might be available on the market, but Leeds are kind of a little bit staunch in their position now because they've already got in the money from Calvin Phillips and Rafinha. So it'd be quite ambitious of Chelsea to pull that off. And by the same token, Leeds United would be very unambitious if they sell another one of their star players. So again, Chelsea haven't made any inquiries but Thomas Tuchel is a big fan of Jack Harrison and there's a number of other Premier League clubs that are also tracking him at the moment. Anthony links, nothing really in them at this stage. But again, it just shows you the kind of player that Chelsea are maybe looking at in terms of position and style. But it's quite 
quiet at the moment on the attacker front because the main priority is to get in a defender and then after that they'll either turn their attention to a second attacker or potentially a midfielder as well and you know it's not like during a window just because you say that Chelsea are focusing on a defender that they're not spinning other plates because you don't literally only focus on one target ever you're constantly balancing multiple targets, multiple positions, and even multiple windows as well. So a lot of the legwork that gets done is about talking to agents now with a view to January or next summer. And as a consequence, it's not always clear to a fan base what their team are working on, but quite clearly Chelsea won't literally find a centre-back or two and then walk into a room and be like, hmm, who do you want as an attacker? They will have some targets in mind. But what you're also going to find on the attacking front is that we'll have a lull in the window probably in the next week or two as the season gets a week away. And then everyone will assess what they've got. And then there'll be more merry-go-round movement in the last two weeks of the window, which is when some either opportunistic targets might appear or players that Chelsea were undecided on, they might decide to advance on because they realise what they need based on the reality of seeing how the team plays. So don't underestimate how valuable both pre-season and the first sort of four or five games of the season are up until when the window draws closed, because that's actually reality when Tuchel can say, well, okay, I thought that player might be a fit or I thought I needed this, but now I know I need this because I've actually seen firsthand through competitive games that we're lacking in this area. And that's kind of why sides move fast to get some players in for pre-season, then slow down a little bit. Obviously, this is quite generic. It's not the same for every club, but they tend to go fast, bring in a few, go slow, gel those few in, look at what they've got, play their first games, and then have a second wave of movement after they've assessed what they really need. And I think with the attacker, Chelsea will take their time to make sure that any target that they do move for is the right target and not just bought for the sake of it. Yeah, and I think it ties perfectly into what we're talking about with Broha. I think that conversation needs to happen as well with between him and Tuchel so that they can make an educated decision. But like you said, the defence is the priority. Rahul, do you want to talk a little bit more about some of the targets that are have been linked with us since the beginning of this, the transfer market here? Or even last even season. Last season yeah. <laughs> um, and to that, I'm alluding to Kunde, who now it seems like is back on uh, coming to Chelsea. Uh, so there's interest there from last season, like we were saying, there's an offer on the table. Barcelona, again, are interested. Um, I think this time Chelsea a little bit closer to getting the deal done, Ben? Well, I think from Chelsea's perspective, and it could well change by the time people are actually listening to this because it's a big day of negotiations, but they're very close to agreeing a fee of around about 60 million euros. It may even be ever so slightly north of that, but Chelsea are confident that they won't have to pay the full 65 million. And big progress has been made between Sevilla and Chelsea during initial talks a few months back. And then again, a few weeks back, there was gridlock in negotiations. And I think that Sevilla were holding out for a little bit closer to the 80 million euros release clause. Now they want the future sorted of the player and they're heading off to Portugal on Thursday for the next stage of their pre-season and they would like deal or deals either singular or plural with Chelsea and Barcelona agreed by that stage and Chelsea are the front runners because they have done all the legwork with Sevilla Sevilla want to sell to Chelsea and they believe that they're going to get the highest straight cash deal via Chelsea and that's what gives Chelsea confidence because they expect to agree a full 
package and fee by either the end of play today or at the latest tomorrow. And then it all boils down to Jules Kunde. And Kunde didn't train today with Sevilla and has implied that he is off by saying some goodbyes to fans. But of course, Barcelona and Chelsea are both intent on moving quickly. So Chelsea are hoping they've got the fee. Personal terms with Jules Kunde have been agreed for ages. So that's not a problem. And he's open to the move. So it all boils down to whether Barcelona can persuade Jules Kunde to reject Chelsea and then wait for them to agree a deal with Sevilla. But Monchi at Sevilla has made it clear to Barcelona that if that is their approach, they need to make a straight cash offer and quickly. Otherwise, they must walk away. And then Jules Kunde will effectively only have one option. And even though people like to compare it to Rafinha and Chelsea fans have been burned before with a player that they wanted waiting and eventually joining Barcelona, there are a few key differences. Sevilla are not Leeds United and obviously Kunde is not Rafinha. And I don't say that glibly. By that, I mean that Sevilla are more impatient than Leeds. Leeds were, I suppose, frustrated and they certainly put pressure on Barcelona to get the deal done. But because they knew where Rafinha wanted to end up, they tried to get the best possible outcome for them and the player who has obviously been an integral part of Leeds United and a loyal servant. Whereas with Jules Kunde, Sevilla are basically saying, we're not going to be messed around here. We're not going to go back and forth on offers that are either too low or are not straight cash and are not to be taken seriously. So Barcelona have got a choice now. They've either got to come in and try and hijack the deal on similar terms to what Chelsea have offered, and then it will all come down to the player, or they're simply not going to get a financial agreement with Sevilla and do not want to get drawn into a bidding war, and then Jules Kunde will only have one option. So it's been an open race all week to some extent because Barcelona have gone to the player first and foremost to try and get him to imply he doesn't want to go anywhere other than Barcelona and then they hope that as with Rafinha that gives them a bit of leverage with Sevilla but Chelsea are more advanced at the moment because they will in all likelihood have that fee and they've already got that buy-in from Jules Kunde, who's perfectly fine with going to Stamford Bridge as well and that's why Chelsea are front runners at the moment and they remain confident it could change if Barcelona actually agree a fee with Sevilla but that remains to be seen at this stage and that is why Chelsea are speaking with much more confidence than they did with Rafinha it's not to say that Chelsea were not confident at points about Rafinha but as the saga dragged on Chelsea sources made it repeatedly clear that his arrival would be a bonus it was possible and they were doing all they could but everyone was well aware that Rafinha wanted to join Barcelona and that's what happened. Whereas with Kunde, it's a bit more of an open race because the player is prepared to go both ways. And therefore, the first club to agree a deal with Sevilla will have a big, big advantage. And if that's Chelsea, then Barcelona are going to have to spend a lot more than they were anticipating to match the offer. Because let's not forget that Barcelona's initial offer was either going to be, and they've never tabled anything formal, a low amount of cash plus a player swap or a straight cash deal that was, and it may change, but was approximately 10 million less than Chelsea's. And it remains to be seen if they'll go up to that 60, 61, 62 million euro mark in order to make it a straight race. So Chelsea very much in the box seat. 
And due to the urgency on Sevilla's part to get this wrapped up, I expect full clarity on Jules Kunde and his next club by the end of the week. That's, that's good to hear. The, the logical side of me says, if a player doesn't want to be at Chelsea or prefers to move to a different club, let him go there. But the passionate side of me, and maybe Jackie feels the same way, I don't want to lose another player to Barcelona. <laughs> um, but uh, I hope we get it done. And I think Koundé would impact Levy Colwell, who we've been, we've been talking about. So Jackie, you want to, you want to touch on that? Yeah, so Levy Colwell is another talent coming out of our academy. He's had a good you know, season with the championship team, similar to what we saw with Tamori, similar with Mark Guihi. Now there are talks that he's waiting to see, and I don't know if this is accurate, if he's waiting to see or the club are waiting to see what they do in the transfer market as far as a centre-back goes. Because if we do bring in someone like a Kunde, then you've got kind of your solid first-choice players that would be there. And then Caldwell takes a, a step back and maybe doesn't get enough playing time. So what can you share on that front if that's what's happening or is he ready to leave the club as well? Well, he's never intimated that he wants out of the football club. The reports out there, as I understand it anyway, saying that he was trying to push for a move are incorrect. What Colwell is asking for is clarity on his place in the pecking order. And depending on who Chelsea bring in, and how many, he will then determine what is best for him. So in an ideal situation, he wants to stay at Chelsea, but he's probably still too much on the young side to be thrown into regular Premier League football, particularly big, serious games at the top end of the table or Champions League. Let's not forget he's only 19 years of age. But I think he and Gallagher and Broger are all good examples of... Chelsea and almost at times mismanagement of young talent and their pathways under the old regime. So the club have had too much of a habit of hanging on to players, loaning them out, not knowing what to do with them. And even if they've got resale value, those pathways back to the first team haven't always been there. And what that does to the next generation that fall into that category is it creates almost a sense of alarm maybe that word is too strong but it creates a sense of frustration because each of these young players wonder what their odds are of ever getting a crack and if they've done well on loan like Colwell did at Huddersfield then they can be even more demoralized because they feel that they couldn't have done anything more to earn a shot and Broger would definitely fall into that category because he got six goals in the Premier League for Southampton but Colwell is more patient than Broyer and he would like to be factored in in the long run to Chelsea and stay at the football club. So a permanent deal away, therefore, is probably less likely. And I think as long as Chelsea can persuade him that he has a long-term future at the football club, then he will be happy to be loaned out somewhere with Everton, one of the clubs taking a look at him at the moment. Southampton and Leicester are two others that are keeping tracks on the player. But, you know, the challenge when you're 19 and you're looking for that Premier League experience is wherever you go, how often are you going to play? So if Colwell walks into Leicester, even though they had defensive problems last season, there's still a danger that he's behind, say, Wesley Fofana in the pecking order. And that's why dropping into the championship can give you more of that game time. 
but of course the Premier League becomes a step up in your development. So I think with Colwell, he'd like to stay in an ideal world, but more importantly, he'd like to know where he stands and that will be defined on the incomings as well. And I think from his point of view, it's actually quite good to have Koulibaly and Silva at the football club. And even though he's likely to be Barca bound, Aspilicueta, because these players are older. Right. And if you're Colwell and you're 19, you're thinking, well, I learn from them and I go out and get some game time maybe. And then I come back and I'm the defender in waiting to replace one or two of them week in, week out in a season or two. Because by that stage, you've got Koulibaly, who will be in his 30s. You've yeah. got Silva, who will probably have been moved on as well. But obviously, if mid-20s players or younger, like Kimpembe's and Kunde's come in, then Colwell is perfectly entitled to say, hang on, now, where am I in relation to this 23-year-old? Because he could play in my position for five to eight years, potentially. And even Kimpembe, in his mid-20s, also could have another five or six seasons at Chelsea Football Club before he's moved on, at which point Colwell is 26, 27 and thinking, I mean, maybe not quite that old, but 24, 25 at least and thinking, yikes, where's my career gone? All I've kind of done is gone back and forth and waited and come off the bench. And he's a very ambitious player. So it's all about who comes in and Chelsea convincing Levi Colwell that he does have a future at Chelsea. And then unlike Broyer, the player I think will be happy to either remain at the football club or more likely be loaned out because he's not as pushy about wanting to exit. That's, I mean, makes us feel better about it because he's definitely a talent and someone that uh, we'd like to see in a Chelsea shirt, given that we've lost the likes of Tamori and and Mark Guay. You brought up Kimpembe. I know over the course of the week, there's been talk that PSG don't really want to sell. He doesn't really want to leave. Uh, and hence we've seen the Kunde reports come back in. Is Kimpembe still in the mix if Kunde comes in or once Kunde is finalized by Chelsea, that would be kind of it in the, on the defensive side? No, they want two centre-backs. And if Aspilicueta departs for Barcelona, which is still pretty likely, then Chelsea may explore a full-back as well. So it will be two, if not three more defenders to come in through the door. Kimpembe is difficult because... As you've alluded to, the player is very settled in Paris. PSG are open to listening to offers, but Chelsea have not agreed a fee. And Christophe Gaultier, the new PSG manager, has also said directly to Kimpembe that even if a fee is agreed, it's entirely up to him because Kimpembe is in PSG's plans and PSG might well end up extending his contract, as I understand it, until 2024. So the first task is agreeing a fee. And then it's whether Kimpembe can be persuaded to move away from PSG, knowing that he's not surplus to requirements at that particular club. Juventus struggled. They've obviously moved on to other targets now. And that does, to some extent, give Chelsea a clear run if they do want to kind of keep talks going, because Juventus are just about to sign Glayson Bremer, who was voted as the best defender actually in Serie A, even though I've said many times I think Koulibaly was actually the best performing defender in Serie A. It was actually Bremer that won the award and he's a little bit younger. And with Juventus bringing in him and selling Delete to Bayern Munich, their interest in Kempembe is likely to end. But Chelsea still haven't got the confidence yet 
to think that they can 100% get the player buy-in and that's the challenge. So a deal is not impossible, but they are certainly prioritizing Kunde at this stage. Okay. Yeah. So Ben, we have about 10 minutes or so left. And so I want to talk about the midfield now, not necessarily purchasing, but how Chelsea are looking at the midfield, especially given the preseason. We seem to have a lot of players in midfield at this point. And, and that may be Tuchel's plan. Maybe he has an idea of where they all fit. But specifically, you've got obviously the, the stalwarts that have been there for a few seasons now. Your Kante, your Jorginho's, your Kovacic. But you're looking at now, you know, Billy Gilmore's come into the mix. You're looking at Conor Gallagher that's come into the mix. There are fewer than Ethan Ampadu, lost his cheek. Uh, there's a lot of players that potentially are fitting into the middle of the park. Do you know what the long-term plan is? Are some going to be moved on? Uh, are they going to move into different positions, perhaps? Are we going to play a different formation? What's the thoughts behind that? Yeah, the formation one's an interesting question. I don't see the midfield changing dramatically, tactically-wise. There is some talk that Thomas Tuchel might revert at times anyway to a back four. Yep. So that's one to watch. But generally speaking, I think that the front part in terms of attacking midfielders or creative wide midfielders, and then a focal point will remain the same, whether that's back four, back three, and whether that's the sort of three, four, two, one, slash three, four, three, or four kind of at the back. And a four, three, three would be very interesting from Chelsea's point of view as well, I think. But midfield in the centre is a problem for Chelsea yeah. in terms of volume of players that are surplus to requirements but also those that are eating up portions of the wage bill that the new ownership group would ideally like to get off it and I think that means that Billy Gilmore will be sent somewhere for sure with Everton and Rangers looking at some kind of move possibly only a loan move but I think that Chelsea could be also open to a permanent deal there it's a shame for Gilmore because the loan spell at Norwich didn't really work out so he's just looking for a little bit more of a settled move and regular game time and a loan to Frank Lampard's Everton or back in Scotland to Rangers might make a lot of sense but he's one that I think is surplus to requirements and was obviously cut from the US tour Ross Barkley's another that Chelsea would like off their wage bill if they possibly can and I think he's on about 100k plus a week Aston Villa and Everton are again exploring that possibility nothing advanced but Chelsea are actively putting Barkley into the market to see who is available and of course that makes sense because in the last few seasons he's been a bit part player whereas if you go back two or three seasons he was playing a lot more regularly but as an attacking midfielder he's never quite contributed with the same volume of goals or assists as he did during his first spell at Everton and I actually think he'll be a great signing for whoever gets him if he's let go who's still only 28 yeah. and has a lot of potential but he's a streaky kind of player and definitely needs a more regular run in the side and he's not going to get that in Chelsea's midfield and then with Jorginho Koulibaly's arrival has helped I think in many ways because they're very good friends and even though Juventus are interested in Jorginho I expect him to stay at least through this window and N'Golo Kante as well is still a very valuable player in Chelsea's eyes so those two will become a mainstay in terms of squad players still for Thomas Tuchel at this point. And clearly with all these players that have been mentioned, if an offer comes in, things can change later on in the window and incomings in midfield, should there be any, may also alter Tuchel's thinking. But right now, I think that it's clear that 
Jorginho and Kante will be here for the start of the season. And that even though the midfield is much talked about, because of the high volume of players there at the moment, if there aren't any outgoings, then Chelsea's priorities will be one, defenders, two, probably a second attacker slash creative player, and then they'll turn their attention to the midfield. And obviously with De Jong, which I'm sure you want to know about as well, the interest, very loosely speaking, is genuine, but Chelsea haven't done anything with it yet. I know there's some reports out there that talk of an imminent bid being prepared, but my understanding is that if Chelsea were to move, they want buy-in from the player first, so they know that they're not going to be messed around in a long-running saga. And De Jong hasn't changed his mind at the moment. He's fully intent still on staying at Barcelona and Manchester United have found the same problem. So it's all very well talking to Barcelona and agreeing a fee, but De Jong wants to fight for his place and he's contracted at the football club. So it's a slightly different situation to Dembele. He doesn't want to take the pay cut though. That's the only thing. So what it's going to need with De Jong is Barcelona upfront and honestly to drive him out of the football club and actually tell him explicitly, no mind games, no PR, no public statements that he's not for sale, because otherwise the player can just use that and say, well, great, I'm not for sale, so I'm just going to stay. Thank you very much, and I'll stay on the same wages, and I'll see out my contract. But if there is a move at Barcelona, and it's only a hypothetical, but you know, it's not entirely unfeasible, where Barcelona come seriously in for Bernardo Silva at Manchester City and get him, at that point, they'll want De Jong out the door and then suddenly Premier League clubs can circle. But at this stage, there's not too much in the Chelsea interest other than the fact that he's a player that they admire and they are monitoring. But I don't see some sort of fast, formal bid happening in the next week or so unless Chelsea, much like Manchester United, get that clarity from the player directly as well that he is actually up for the move and when De Jong is asked at the moment he continues to reiterate even privately through his agent to clubs that he doesn't want to move away from the Camp Nou which makes any potential transfer very problematic. Yeah that's extremely interesting to hear we are fans of De Jong but obviously like you you alluded to I think he has to be interested to coming to Chelsea for that to matter. We have about five or six minutes left Rahul if you want to wrap it up with Ben here. Yeah, I, I, on the Barcelona piece, it blows my mind how they continue to sign players, and uh, maybe we just need to do a special episode on them, <laughs> on them, Ben, because uh, even uh, Nagelsmann is wondering what's going on there. Uh, but before, like Jackie said, we have five minutes. So are there any else, uh, any other thoughts that you want to share with us, uh, maybe about the new signing in the women's squad or any other uh, players linked to come into the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I think from Chelsea women's point of view they have had an excellent window and the latest signing is a teenage forward from Sheffield United by the name of Lucy Watson and she's really exciting because she's got a lot of energy and pace and she's only 18 years of age but she's had a fair amount of first team football and that's what you find with women's players of younger generations that because they've come through and are the first to really benefit from a lot of the investment and coaching on the women's side, you get a lot of young players that have been in professional football earlier and full time and thus comparative to 18 year olds of generations older than them, they're much more technically gifted and developed. And that's 
brilliant from Chelsea's point of view because not only do they get a young star that they can integrate over time into their first team, but in addition to that, there's huge potential for things like sell-on value because the players are simply more developed at a younger age. And what I like about Watson in particular is her pace, but also her composure on the ball. And she has played in the championship, which is a good test for any player. It's relatively physical. It can be quite claustrophobic at times. You learn kind of a football experience from start to finish where you're traveling on buses, not planes, where (laughs) you're getting in your own cars, you're making your own packed lunches, you're reliant on your family still. Not every pitch is in pristine condition. Not every dressing room is perfect. And you mature a lot quicker, I think, in that environment. And she had a really good record in the championship with, I think, just over 20 appearances and eight goals. Pretty clinical, always knows where the goal is. And she is a young lioness as well and was called up for the UEFA European Championship qualifiers at St George's Park and she featured in the UEFA Women's Under-19 European Championship which was in the Czech Republic and she made the starting lineup in one game in particular against Sweden as well so it's another good signing it's one for the future and let's not forget it's the fourth signing that Chelsea women have made because Eva Perisic is there, Kadisha Buchanan and Katerina Svitakova and that is the depth because they have had some outgoings that Chelsea women really need. So I think that they're in again, as you would expect from the defending WSL champions for a really strong season. But what they're looking to do is two things. One, simultaneously bring in proven talent plus ones for the future and Watson falls into that category. And then two, give themselves that depth and that quality to go even further in the Champions League because Chelsea are where they want to be in the WSL. And I expect Manchester City to have a better season this season than last and Arsenal are always there. So it's still those three to look out for. But of course, as the money comes into the women's game with extra eyes on it, and development, you start to see all of the normal brands from the men's game, like Manchester United and Spurs, catching up on the women's side. And as they get stronger and stronger, you start to go from a two-horse race to a four-horse race to even a six-horse race, potentially for the WSL Championship. We're not quite there yet. For me, it's probably still only going to be between Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City, but it's going to be a lot, lot tougher going away at some of these sides than in seasons gone by as they continue to strengthen. So Chelsea will need that depth and I think they've got that and they'll also need to start thinking about what young talent they can get hold of that they can bring through over time. So Emma Hayes will be really pleased with the window. Chelsea have moved quite fast and decisively on the women's side And they'll probably want a couple more to come in as well to make sure that if, for example, Fran Kirby continues to have health problems or Sam Kerr feels that she has too much of the weight on her shoulders in terms of scoring, there's just goals coming from other places. And that's where players like Panilla Harder are really important. World-class signing from a, a few seasons back, a world record fee paid for her and it's those type of players that can step up and add goals and you know historically Chelsea have always had that with a player like G who's gone now who was very underrated at kind of playing behind the front line linking things up always getting her foot in 
chipping in with the odd assist or goal. And that's what Chelsea are looking for, those versatile players that can do a bit of everything behind their star names. And Harder is one of those star names and one of the players that can contribute in a variety of different ways. But it wouldn't at all surprise me if in the attacking sense, Chelsea had one more box office name and then they'll have had a very, very strong window. But they're looking in good shape. And like I say, unlike Chelsea men who are trying to add depth to narrow the gap between themselves and Man City and Liverpool, Chelsea women are already leading the way in the WSL. So it's about protecting their dominance and making sure that Arsenal or Manchester City don't catch up with them, whilst at the same time just finding a way to kind of close that gap with the Leons and the PSGs of this world in Champions League football. And what we've seen with Chelsea is that defensively, they actually have needed maybe more reinforcements and they've lost their composure a bit in women's champions league games but from an attacking point of view they've always had goals in them and weapons in them so if they can keep a few more clean sheets or just be a bit more defensively rigid at the business end of women's champions league football then they've got the firepower and depth to do damage against the very best in europe so i think it's a case in the champions league of kind of building from the back Whereas ironically in the WSL, they keep clean sheets more for fun. And it's more about that Kerr-Kirby partnership that just gets the wins week in, week out. But Kerr-Kirby partnership in the Women's Champions League isn't as potent in the sense that they're not scoring threes and fours, they're scoring ones and twos. And those ones and twos don't always count for wins if you're not keeping the clean sheets at the other end. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach the Women's Champions League, but I've got high hopes for Chelsea women this season. And as I've already said, I, I think they've had a really, really good window so far. Yeah, and, and we definitely agree with you. And I think that's a great wrap up and update on, on what the women's uh, squad has been doing. But Ben, I know we've hit our, our time here. So uh, I want to thank you for joining us once again, and, and we'll see you uh, next week. And hopefully we can get some predictions from you about the upcoming Premier League season. Uh, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe and like us it's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Premier Chels. And drop Ben a follow as well. All of these updates he's regularly sharing on his Twitter. It's at Jacob, Jacob's Ben. Uh, and we will be back next week, like I said. But until then, stay safe and up to Chels. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.